for, ardent, operating on both banks of the scarp, to put themselves in touch with the garrison of Dunkirk, which, on its side, had pushed forward as far as Dway, but on October 2nd and 3 the bulk of our fresh army was very strongly attacked in the district of Arizan Lens, confronting it were two corps of cavalry, the guards, four active army corps, and two reserve corps, a fresh French army corps was immediately transported and detrained in the Lille district, but once more the attacks became more pressing, and on October 4th it was a question whether, in view of the enemy's activity both west of the Oise and south of the Somme, and also further to the north, a retreat would not have to be made. General Schaffer resolutely put this hypothesis aside and ordered the offensive to be resumed with the reinforcements that had arrived. It was, however, clear that, despite the efforts of all, our front, extended to the sea as it was by a mere ribbon of troops, did not possess the solidity to enable it to resist with complete safety a German attack, the violence of which could well be foreseen. In the Arras district the position was fairly good, but between the Waz and Arras we were holding our own only with difficulty. Finally, to the north, on the Lillestyres Myrtle Hayes Brick Castle front, our cavalry and our territorials had their work cut out against eight divisions of German cavalry, with very strong infantry supports. It was at this moment that the transport of the British Army to the Northern Theater of Operations began. Illustration, Vice Admiral H.R.H., the Duke of the ABRUZZI cousin of the King of Italy, commander of the Dreadnought Squadron of the Italian Navy. Photo C by Pitch Bros. N.Y. The transport of the British Army, Field Marshal French had, as early as the end of September, expressed the wish to see his army resume its initial place on the left of the Allied armies. He explained this wish on the ground of the greater facility of which his communications would have the advantage in this new position, and also of the impending arrival of two divisions of infantry from home and of two infantry divisions and a cavalry division from India, which would be able to deploy more easily on that terrain. In spite of the difficulties which such a removal involved, owing to the intensive use of the railways by our own units, General Schaffer decided at the beginning of October to meet the field marshal's wishes and to have the British Army removed from the aim. It was clearly specified that on the northern terrain the British Army should company operate to the same end as ourselves, the stopping of the German right. In other terms, the British Army was to prolong the front of the general disposition without a break, attacking as soon as possible and at the same time seeking touch with the Belgian army, but the detraining took longer than had been expected, and it was not possible to attack the Germans during the time when they had only cavalry in the Lille district and further to the north. The arrival of the Belgian army, there remained the Belgian army, on leaving Antwerp on October 9th the Belgian army, which was covered by 8.000 British Blue Jackets and 6.000 French Blue Jackets at first intended to retire as far as to the north of Calais, but afterwards determined to make a stand in Belgian territory. Unfortunately, the condition of the Belgian troops, exhausted by a struggle of more than three months, did not allow any immediate hopes to be based upon them. This situation weighed on our plans and delayed their execution. On the 16th we made progress to the east of Ypres. On the 18th our cavalry even reached rulers and Cordemark, but it was now evident that, in view of the continual reinforcing of the German right, our left was not capable of maintaining the advantages obtained during the previous few days. To attain our end and make our front inviolable a fresh effort was necessary. That effort was immediately made by the dispatch to the north of the lease of considerable French forces, which formed the French Army of Belgium. The French Army of Belgium, 
the French army of Belgium consisted, to begin with, of two territorial divisions, four divisions of cavalry, and a naval brigade. Directly after its constitution it was strengthened by elements from other points on the front whose arrival extended from October 27th to November 11th. These reinforcements were equivalent altogether in value to five army corps, a division of cavalry, a territorial division, and 16 regiments of cavalry, plus 60 pieces of heavy artillery. Thus was completed the strategic maneuver defined by the instructions of the General-in-Chief on September 11th and developed during the five following weeks with the ampleness we have just seen. The movements of troops carried out during this period were methodically combined with the pursuit of operations, both defensive and offensive, from the Waz to the North Sea. On October 22nd our left, bounded six weeks earlier by the Noyon district, rested on Newport. Thanks to the successive deployment of five French armies, three French armies, the British army, and the Belgian army, thus the company ordination decided upon by the general in chief attained its end. The barrier was established. It remained to maintain it against the enemy's offensive. That was the object and the result of the Battle of Flanders, October 22nd to November 15th. Operations in Flanders. The fourth installment of the French review takes up the operations in Flanders, as follows. The German attack in Flanders was conducted strategically and tactically with remarkable energy. The complete and indisputable defeat in which it resulted is therefore significant. The forces of which the enemy disposed for this operation between the sea and the lees comprised, won the entire fourth army commanded by the Duke of Württemberg, consisting of one naval division, one division of Erzots Reserve, men who had received no training before the war, which was liberated by the fall of Antwerp, the 22nd, 23rd, 26th and 27th Reserve Corps, and the 48th Division belonging to the 24th Reserve Corps, to a portion of another army under General von Fabek, consisting of the 15th Corps, two Bavarian Corps and three unspecified divisions, three part of the 6th Army under the command of the Crown Prince of Bavaria, this army, more than a third of which took part in the Battle of Flanders, comprised the 19th Army Corps, portions of the 13th Corps and the 18th Reserve Corps the 7th and 14th Corps, the 1st Bavarian Reserve Corps, the Guards, and the 4th Army Corps, for four highly mobile cavalry corps prepared and supported the action of the troops enumerated above. Everything possible had been done to fortify the morale of the troops. At the beginning of October the Crown Prince of Bavaria in a proclamation had exhorted his soldiers to make the decisive effort against the French left wing, and to settle thus the fate of the great battle which has lasted four weeks. Illustration Map showing the swaying battle line from Belfort to the North Sea and the entrenched line on April 15, 1915. On October 28, Prince Ruprecht of Bavaria declared in an army order that his troops had just been fighting under very difficult conditions, and he added, It is our business now not to let the struggle with our most detested enemy drag on longer. The decisive blow is still to be struck. On October 30, General von Diemling commanding the 15th Army Corps belonging to General von Fabek's command, issued an order declaring that the thrust against Ypres will be of decisive importance. It should be noted also that the Emperor proceeded in person to field and Courtrai to exalt by his presence the ardor of his troops. Finally, at the close of October, the entire German press incessantly proclaimed the importance of the Battle of Calais. It is superfluous to add that events in Poland explain in a large measure the passionate resolve of the German general staff to obtain a decision in the Western theater of operations at all costs. This decision would be obtained if our left were pierced or driven in to reach Calais. 
that island to break our left, to carry Ypres, that island to cut it in half, through both points to menace the communications and supplies of the British Expeditionary Corps, perhaps even to threaten Britain and her island such was the German plan in the Battle of Flanders, it was a plan that could not be executed, check of German attack, the enemy, who had at his disposal a considerable quantity of heavy artillery, directed his efforts at first upon the coast and the country to the north of Dixmude. His objective was manifestly the capture of Dunkirk, then of Calais and Boulogne, and this objective he pursued until November 1st. On October 23 the Belgians along the railway line from Newport to Dixmude were strengthened by a French division. Dixmude was occupied by our Marines Fusiliers Marines. During the subsequent day our forces along the railway developed a significant resistance against an enemy superior in number and backed by heavy artillery. On the 29th the inundations effected between the canal and the railway line spread along our front. On the 30th we recaptured Ramscapel, the only point on the railway which Belgians had lost. On the 1st and 2nd of November the enemy bombarded Ferns, but began to show signs of weariness. On the 2nd he evacuated the ground between the Isar and the railway, abandoning cannon, dead and wounded. On the 3rd our troops were able to re-enter the Dixmude district. The success achieved by the enemy at Dixmude at this juncture was without fruit. They succeeded in taking the town. They could not debouch from it. The coastal attack had thus proved a total failure. Since then it has never been renewed. The Battle of Calais, so noisily announced by the German press, amounted to a decided reverse for the Germans. German defeat at Ypres. The enemy had now begun an attack more important than its predecessor, in view of the numbers engaged in it. This attack was intended as a renewal to the south of the effort which had just been shattered in the north, instead of turning our flank on the coast. It was now sought to drive in the right of our northern army under the shock of powerful masses. This was the Battle of Ypres. In order to understand this long, desperate, and furious battle, we must hark back a few days in point of time. At the moment when our cavalry reached rulers and corps to mark October 28th our territorial divisions from Dunkirk under General Biden, had occupied and organized a defensive position at Ypres. It was a point that we, enabling us to prepare and maintain our connections with the Belgian Army, from October 23rd to British and French Army Corps were in occupation of this position, which was to be the base of their forward march in the direction of rulers Menin. The delays already explained and the strength of the forces brought up by the enemy soon brought to a standstill our progress along the line Poelkapel, Pascandil, Zandvoort and Gilunvelt, but in spite of the stoppage here, Ypres was solidly covered, and the connections of all the Allied forces were established. Against the line thus formed the German attack was hurled from October 25th to November 13th, to the north, the east, and the south of Ypres. From October 26th on the attacks were renewed daily with extraordinary violence, obliging us to employ our reinforcements at the most threatened points as soon as they came up. Thus, on October 31st, we were obliged to send supports to the British cavalry, then to the two British corps between which the cavalry formed the connecting link, and finally to intercalate between these two corps a force equivalent to two army corps. Between October 30th and November 6th April was several times in danger. The British lost Zandvoort, Gilunvelt, Messinas, and Wichita. The front of the Allies, thus contracted, was all the more difficult to defend, but defended it was without a recoil. Reinforcements arrive. The arrival of three French divisions in our line enabled us to resume from the 4th to the 8th a vigorous offensive. On the 10th and 11th this offensive, 
brought up against fresh and sharper German attacks, was checked, before it could be renewed the arrival of fresh reinforcements had to be awaited, which were dispatched to the north on November 12th, by the 14th our troops had again begun to progress, barring the road to Ypres against the German attacks, and inflicting on the enemy, who advanced in mass aid formation, losses which were especially terrible in consequence of the fact that the French and British artillery had crowded nearly 300 guns onto these few kilometers of front, thus the main mass of the Germans sustained the same defeat as the detachments operating further to the north along the coast, the support which, according to the idea of the German general staff, the attack on Ypres was to render to the coastal attack, was as futile as that attack itself had been, during the second half of November the enemy, exhausted and having lost in the Battle of Ypres alone more than 150.000 men, did not attempt to renew his effort, but confined himself to an intermittent cannonade. We, on the contrary, achieved appreciable progress to the north and south of Ypres, and ensured definitely by a powerful defensive organization of the position the inviolability of our front. The compiler of the report here adds a footnote saying that the bodies of more than 40.000 Germans were found on the battlefield during these three weeks of battle. The report next proceeds to summarize the character and results of the operations since the Battle of Flanders that island during the period November 30-February 1st. Since the former date the French Supreme Command had not thought it advisable to embark upon important offensive operations. It has confined itself to local attacks the main object of which was to hold in front of us as large a number of German corps as possible, and thus to hinder the withdrawal of the troops which to our knowledge the German general staff was anxious to dispatch to Russia, few sent to the east. As a matter of fact, the numbers transported to the eastern front had been very moderate. Of the 52 army corps which faced us on the western front, Germany has only been able to take four and one-half corps for the eastern front. On the other hand, climatic conditions the rain mud, and mist were such as to diminish the effectiveness of offensive operations and to add to the costliness of any undertaken, which was another reason for postponing them. Still another reason lies in the fact that from now on the Allied forces can count upon a steadily expanding growth, equally in point of numbers and units as of material, while the German forces have attained the maximum of their power, and can only diminish now both in numbers and in value. These conditions explain the character of the siege warfare which the operations had assumed during the period under review. Illustration, map illustrating the Battle of Flanders, the Battle of Ypres, and the terrain of the frustrated German efforts to reach Dunkirk and Calais. Meanwhile, it is by no means the case that the siege warfare has had the same results for the Germans as for us. From November 15th to February 1st, our opponents, in spite of very numerous attacks, did not succeed in taking anything from us, except a few hundred meters of ground to the north of Soissons. We, on the contrary, had obtained numerous and appreciable results. The French writer here proceeds to strike a balance of gains and losses between the Allied and the German forces in France during the winter campaign. The result he sums up as follows, 1. A general progress of our troops, very marked at certain points. 2. A general falling back of the enemy except to the northeast of Soissons. To complete the balance it must be added that, 1. The German offensive in Poland was checked a month ago. 2. The Russian offensive continues in Galicia and the Carpathians. 3. A large part of the Turkish-Caucasian army has been annihilated. 4. Germany has exhausted her resources of officers. There are now on an average 12 officers to a regiment. 
and henceforth will only be able to develop her resources in men to the detriment of the existing units. 5. The Allied Armies, on the contrary, possess the power of reinforcing themselves in a very considerable degree. It may, therefore, be declared that in order to obtain complete success it is sufficient for France and her allies to know how to await and to prepare victory with indefatigable patience. The German offensive is broken. The German defensive will be broken in its turn. It is evident from the report that the numbered German Army Corps are Prussian Corps unless otherwise specified. The French Army A.S. at Island London. March 18th. Correspondence of the Associated Press. All of Part I. Of the Historical Review of the War emanating from French official sources, and purely from the French viewpoint, has been received by the Associated Press. Part II deals with the conditions in the French army, furnishing a most interesting chapter on the subject under the title, The French Army as an Island. The compiler of the report, beginning this part of his review on February 1st, says that the condition of the French army is excellent and appreciably superior to what it was at the beginning of the war from the three points of view of numbers, quality, and equipment. Continuing, he says, in the higher command important changes have been made. It has, in fact, been rejuvenated by the promotion of young commanders of proved quality to high rank. All the old generals, who at the beginning of August were at the head of large commands, have been gradually eliminated, some as the result of the physical strain of war and others by appointment to territorial commands. This rejuvenation of the higher ranks of the army has been carried out in a far-reaching manner and it may be said that it has embraced all the grades of the military hierarchy from commanders of brigades to commanders of armies. The result has been to lower the average age of general officers by 10 years. Today more than three-fourths of the officers commanding armies and army corps are less than 60 years of age. Some are considerably younger. A number of the army corps commanders are from 46 to 54 years of age, and the brigade commanders are usually under 50. There are, in fact, at the front extremely few general officers over 60, and these are men who are in full possession of their physical and intellectual powers. Many colonels promoted. This rejuvenation of the high command was facilitated by a number of circumstances, notable among which were the strengthening of the higher regimental ranks carried out during the three years preceding the war, as a result of which at the outset of the campaign each infantry regiment had two lieutenant colonels and each cavalry and artillery regiment a colonel and lieutenant colonel, and also the system of promotion for the duration of the war. Many officers who began the war as colonels now command brigades, some are even at the head of divisions or army corps. Ability proved on the field of battle is now immediately recognized and utilized, and in this way it has been possible to provide in the most favorable manner for the vacancies created by the changes in command which were considered necessary in the first weeks of the war. The higher grades of the French army are inspired by a remarkable unity in the matter of military theory, and by a solidarity of spirit which has found striking expression in the course of the numerous moves of army corps from one part of the theater of operations to another, which have been carried out since the beginning of the war. The cavalry after six months of war still possesses an excess of officers. There are on an average 36 officers to a regiment instead of the 31 considered to be the necessary minimum. The artillery which has suffered relatively little, has also an excess of officers, and is further able to count upon a large number of captains and other officers, who before the war were employed in the arsenals or in technical research. Finally the reserve artillery officers have nearly all proved to be excellent battery commanders. The losses in the junior commissioned ranks have naturally been highest in the infantry, 
Their island however, nothing like a want of officers in this arm. Many captains and lieutenants who have been wounded by machine gun fire such wounds are usually slight and quickly healed, have been able to return speedily to the front. The reserve officers have in general done remarkably well, and in many cases have shown quite exceptional aptitude for the rank of company commanders. The non-commissioned officers promoted to sub-lieutenancies make excellent section leaders, and even show themselves very clever and energetic company commanders in the field. It must be remembered also that thanks to the intellectual and physical development of the generation now serving with the colors, and thanks, above all, to the warlike qualities of the race, and the democratic spirit of our army, we have been able to draw upon the lower grades and even upon the rank and file for officers. Many men who began the war on August 2nd as privates, now wear the officer's epaulets. The elasticity of our regulations regarding promotion in wartime, the absence of the spirit of caste, and the friendly welcome extended by all officers to those of their military inferiors who had shown under fire their fitness to command, have enabled us to meet all requirements. The state of our infantry on January 15th was very satisfactory and much superior to that of the German infantry. On an average each of our regiments has 48 officers, including 18 regular officers, 15 reserve officers, and 15 non-commissioned officers. In each regiment six of the twelve companies are commanded by captains who are regular officers, three by captains of the reserve and three by lieutenants. Each company has at least three officers. The state of the army as regards the commissioned ranks from the highest to the lowest is declared to be exceptionally brilliant. The army is led by young well-trained, and daring chiefs, and the lower commissioned ranks had acquired the art of war by experience, 2.500.000 French at front, including all ranks, France now has more than 2.500.000 men at the front, and every unit island or was on January 15th, at war strength, the infantry companies are at least 200 strong, in many regiments the companies had a strength of 250 or more, in other arms, which have suffered less than the infantry, the units are all up to, or above, regulation strength. This fact constitutes one of the most important advantages of the French army over the Germans. While Germany has created a great number of new units, army corps or divisions, which absorbed at a blow all of her available resources in officers and men, the French Supreme Command has avoided the formation of new units, except in limited number and has only admitted exceptions to this rule when it was able to count with certainty on being able to provide amply for both the present and future requirements of the new units, as regards all ranks, without encroaching upon the reserves needed for the existing units. At the same time, thanks to the depots in the interior of the country, the effectives at the front have been maintained at full strength. The sources of supply for this purpose were the remainder of the eleven classes of the reserves the younger classes of the Territorial Army, and the new class of 1914. A large number of the men wounded in the earlier engagements of the war have been able to return to the front. They have been incorporated in the new drafts, providing these with a full stiffening of war-tried men. With regard to the supplies of men upon which the army can draw to repair the wastage at the front, we learn that there are practically half as many men in the depots as at the front. In other words about 1.250.000. Further supplies of men are provided by the class of 1915 and the revision of the various categories of men of military age previously exempted on grounds of health or for other reasons from the duty of bearing arms. As a result of this measure nearly half a million men have been claimed for the army, almost all of whom, 
after rigorous physical tests, had been declared fit for military service, drilled by C.O.N.V.A.L.E.S. C.A.N.D.S. In the depots in which the new soldiers are being trained the services of many officers and non-commissioned officers discharged as convalescents after being wounded are utilized in order to give a practical turn to the instruction. There are still many voluntary enlistments, and with all these resources of men the army can count upon reinforcements soon to be available which will considerably augment its offensive power. The quality of the troops has improved perceptibly since the beginning of the war. The men have become hardened and used to a war and their health largely owing to the excellence of the commissariat is extremely satisfactory. In spite of the severity of the winter hardly any cases of disease of the respiratory organs had occurred, and the sanitary returns of the army show an appreciable improvement on those of the preceding winter. With regard to the reserves, experience has verified the dictum of the Serbian and Bulgarian generals in the war of 1913, namely, that two months in the field are necessary in order to get at the full value of reserves. Our infantry is now accustomed to the rapid and thorough organization of the defensive. In August it neither liked nor had the habit of using the spade. Today those who see our trenches are astounded. They are veritable improvised fortresses, proof against the 77mm gun and often against artillery of higher caliber. During the last five months not a single encounter can be cited in which our infantry did not have the advantage over the German infantry. All the enemy's attacks have been repulsed except to the north of Swasons, where their success was due to the flooded state of the Aisne and the carrying away of our bridges, our attacks, on the other hand, have yielded important results, and have been carried out with plenty of spirit, although without the imprudence which cost us such heavy losses in August, the cavalry has made remarkable progress, throughout October this branch was called on to eke out the inadequate numbers of the infantry, and showed itself perfectly adapted to the necessities of fighting on foot. Several regiments of cavalry have been used as infantry, and, armed with rifles, have rendered the most valuable services. The artillery has displayed a superiority in the use of its admirable material, which is recognized by the Germans themselves. London, March 27th, Correspondence of the Associated Press. Further installments of the French official review of the condition of the French army after six months of war have been obtained by the Associated Press. The sixth installment deals with material, artillery, transport, and supplies, and the seventh takes up the situation of the German army and makes an analysis of the German forces in the field and available for service. The first chapter of the seventh installment, headed, The German Effort, opens with a statement as to the German forces at the beginning of the campaign. The writer says, The military effort of Germany at the outset of the campaign exceeded all anticipations. Her design was to crush the French army in a few weeks under a tremendous mass of troops. Nothing was neglected to bring that mass together. The number of German army corps in time of peace is 25. When war began the German general staff put in the field on the two theaters of operations, one, as fighting troops, active, reserve, airsots or land war, 61 army corps, two, as troops to guard communications and territory, formations of the Landsturm. In October six and a half new army corps made their appearance, plus a division of sailors in all seven corps. From the end of November to the end of December there was only an insignificant increase, consisting of the division of sailors. In January, 1915, the number of fighting formations put into a line by the German army was therefore 69 army corps, divided as follows, active corps, 25 and a half, reserve corps, 21 and a half, Brigades. Six and a half, 
reserve core of new formation, seven and a half, and core of land or eight and a half, Germany's great initial effort, the immense effort thus made by Germany explains itself very well, if, having regard to the position of Germany at the opening of the war, one considers that of the Allies, Germany desired to take advantage of the circumstances which enabled her to make a simultaneous mobilization of all her forces a mobilization which the three allied armies could not carry out so rapidly. Germany wished with the mass of troops to crush first of all the adversary who appeared to her the most dangerous. This effort, broken for the first time on the Marne, attained its maximum at the moment of the Battle of Flanders, in which more than 50 army corps out of 69 were pinned against the French, British, and Belgian armies. Here also the method followed by Germany is easily comprehensible. At the end of October the Russian danger was beginning to become pressing, and it was necessary to win a decisive victory in the western theater of the war. It was imperative to give international opinion the impression that Germany remained in that quarter mistress of operations. Finally, it behooved her by this victory to gain the freedom to transport a large number of army corps to Poland. We have seen that the Battle of Flanders instead of being a success for Germany, was a marked defeat. This defeat was fraught with results, and it dominates the present position of the German army. The plans above described of the German mobilization, which had their justification in view of a prompt victory, were calculated to become extremely perilous from the moment that that victory failed to be gained. Initiative lost by Germany. From that moment, in fact, Germany lost the initiative and the direction of the war, and, furthermore, she was condemned to suffer the counter-effects of the enormous and precipitate effort which she had made in vain, from the point of view of her effectiveness and her regimental cadres, basic organization, she had undergone a wastage which her adversaries, on the other hand, had been able to save themselves, she had, in the words of the proverb, put all her eggs in one basket, and in spite of her large population she could no longer, owing to the immediate and sterile abuse which she had made of her resources, pretend to regain the superiority of numbers, she was reduced to facing as best she could on both W.